Thanks be to God. Hey everyone, my name is Jesse Golan. I'm the ministry apprentice here at Oasis Church. And this morning I have the just absolute privilege of opening the Bible with you and seeing what God has for us there. And it'll be helpful to you to keep your Bible app or your physical Bible open as we go through the sermon. Before we do that, though, I'd just like to pray and ask the Lord for his blessing. Father, we want to hear from you. We want to be blessed by you. Father, please speak to us through your word this morning. Cause the Holy Spirit to be at work in this room and in the rooms of everyone watching online. Father, we pray that you will make the scriptures clear to us, that you will challenge us and encourage us by your word. Amen. Have you ever said goodbye to someone whom you knew you would never see again this side of eternity? I have. Dear, dear friends. For me, I was moving continents and I knew I'd almost certainly never see these dear friends ever again. For for you, maybe you were saying goodbye to a family member or a friend who was dying and you knew that you would never speak with them again this side of eternity. Well, in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is in one of these situations. We learn in verses 22 and 23 that God has directed him to end his missionary efforts in ancient Greece and Turkey and to travel back towards Jerusalem. And we also learn that great suffering and hardships and prison awaited him as he journeyed back to Jerusalem. But on the way, the boat stops at this port and he sends a messenger to go and gather together the leaders of the church in Ephesus, which is the city that Adam preached about last week the city of Artemis and the extraordinary miracles and the run-ins with demons. These leaders are people from the church which Paul had started in that city. Paul had lived there for three years as a church planter and as he outlines for us in this text, he had poured his life into that church. And now he highlights for them in verses 25 and 38 that he believes that this will be the last time that he ever sees them. So these really are like his last words. These are like Jesus' last words to his disciples on the night that he was falsely arrested, tortured, and crucified. These are the words, like the words, of someone who is about to die So they are chosen very, very carefully. In them, we get to see the priorities of the most famous follower of Jesus to ever live. Or if he's not the most famous, then he's definitely one of the most famous. Paul, the missionary. God had used him massively 
in God's mission to spread the message of Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the world. And if you were to ask Paul to sum up his life's mission, he might have said that his life mission was to help more people find life in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ Jesus. Paul did his best to follow Jesus in his life and to reflect the character of Jesus. And in our passage, Paul implicitly charges these believers who are gathered for his last words, he, he charges them to take up that same task, to follow Jesus, to follow Paul's example just like Paul followed Jesus. That is also our mission if you're a believer here today. We are followers of Jesus. We are people who follow the example of Jesus. And our church mission is to help more people find life in Jesus. So Paul's farewell words, they have much value for us today because it helps to make concrete what it looks like to follow Jesus, our great Savior. Paul's pretty obviously emotional in this passage. He tells us at the end in verse 36 that everyone, they just break down and they cry when they say goodbye for the final time. So it's a bit all over the place. Paul looks backwards at his time with them and then he looks forwards. He gives them some warnings for the future and then he looks backwards a final time. We're just going to pick up on some of the key points that Paul makes in his final farewell speech to these believers. Let's look at the first section, which is where Paul is looking backwards and reflecting on his time at the church in Ephesus. It'd be like if Adam was saying goodbye for the very final time. The first thing that jumps out at us, verses 18 to 20, is that Paul did not have an easy time in their city. He was passionate about helping people to find life in Jesus, but life was hard for him. Verse 19 says that he served the Lord with humility and tears and then in the midst of severe testing. And really, Paul was just following Jesus' example. Jesus suffered to save others. Paul says he cried when he was in Ephesus, had real love for the people around him. So he cried in his ministry. Well, we know from the Gospels that Jesus also cried in his ministry. He genuinely cared about the people around him. Paul sacrificed for the people around him, just like Jesus, who Paul was following, sacrificed for people during his life. Friends, we're called to follow their example. To follow Jesus' example, ultimately Jesus' example. To care enough for others to sacrifice for their sakes in order to help them to find life in Jesus. It likely won't be easy It probably cost you. It cost Paul, the great missionary. Definitely cost Jesus to make it possible to offer us life through him. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you have a love for others that is willing to face suffering and pain and rejection? A love for others that might even result in tears as you seek to love them? This is the example that Jesus set for us. The example that Paul lived out. And the example that Jesus calls for us to follow. Radical, other-centeredness for the sake of Jesus. Radical, others-centeredness. Then in verses 20 and 21, Paul sums up his teaching in a single sentence. Paul, he's written half of the books in the New Testament. He summarizes for us here in one sentence his life and ministry, his teachings. He read it again for us, verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and to Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Jesus Christ. So simple, one sentence, but also so profound. And did, did you catch that uh, he emphasized that he preached it both to Jews and to Greeks? Paul is here reminding his listeners that the good news of Jesus, it is for people of every ethnicity under the sun and every culture on the face of the planet. It is for Europeans and Africans and Australians and Asians. It is for people of mixed ancestry like me. It is for everyone. And Paul did not hold back because of someone's background. So after looking backwards, giving this single sentence summation of his life and ministry, Paul then shifts to the middle part of his farewell speech and he looks forwards in time. Verses 22 to 31. And he tells these believers that he's voluntarily going to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is asking him to. And he knows, he knows, he tells us, that great suffering awaits him. But he does it anyway. He has this quotable verse, verse 24. Let me read it for us. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. This is Paul talking. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace or God's generosity. Does this maybe remind you of someone? Does it remind you of yourself? It should definitely remind you of Jesus, who's our North Star, the one we're following. Jesus went to Jerusalem, same as Paul, same city knowing that great suffering and hardship awaited him there. As a matter of fact, Jesus had even more clarity than Paul, and Jesus knew that what awaited him in Jerusalem was torture and death. We know because Luke, recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, that Jesus really didn't want to die. He didn't want to suffer but he did it anyway 
Because he was obeying God. Because God had given him the task of making a way for sinful and broken people like me, like you, like Paul, to gain eternal life. Through Jesus voluntarily laying down his life and taking the punishment for all of our wrongdoings. Paul's inner life was transformed by Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus' victory then over death and sin. His outer life was transformed by Jesus' goal to make a way for humans to be saved. So Paul says that his only aim in life was to complete the task that the Lord Jesus had given him. The task of testifying or proclaiming the good news of God's grace that Paul had been a recipient of. The good news that through Jesus we are forgiven. The good news that through Jesus we can have peace with God. The good news that through Jesus we can have eternal life. The good news that God is for us, not against us. May I ask you another question? Has your life been transformed by what Jesus has done for you? Do you testify to the goodness of Jesus to you to the people in your circle of influence? Do you share freely with others what has been freely given to you? Or do you hoard it like a dragon hoards treasure? Are you willing to go where the spirit leads, even if it is a pathway that you know holds suffering or rejection or scorn? And friend, if you don't yet know Jesus, can I invite you to change that today? God is holding out his hand to you generously. He wants to bless you, to have peace with you, to give you eternal life and life to the full. God is for you. He is not against you. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine speak to this saying, for it is by grace that we have been saved. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. This means that you don't have to be perfect before you come to God. It actually means it's impossible to become perfect enough to earn your own salvation through good works. This verse means that no one is saved by their good deeds and that our bad deeds are not stronger than Jesus. If you put your life, your trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Your life will be transformed by his goodness and your eternal destiny will be secure in him. 
If you, if you decide that today's the day when you'd like to repent and place your faith in Jesus, please don't keep it a secret. The Bible tells us that new faith is fragile. And we would love to help you and support you as you embark on this new phase of life. Speak with me or Adam or Ben or a trusted Christian friend after the service. We would also like to celebrate with you. The Bible says that there is great rejoicing in heaven whenever someone finds life in Jesus. And we want to join in with heaven's celebration. Friend, maybe you already know Jesus. So let me ask you again. Are you a hoarder? Do you hoard the good news of Jesus to yourself? Do you have the same heart attitude as Paul, as Jesus? Do you reflect the generosity of the one who saved you? Not everyone is called to be a missionary like Paul or an evangelist. But we are each called to seize the gospel opportunities that God gives us. To be innocent of the blood of the people around us because we have not held back from sharing the good news of God's generosity through Jesus with the people around us. Their response is totally in God's hands, as Paul makes clear in this passage. But it is our responsibility to give the people around us the opportunity to accept the gift of Jesus. If you have a friend or family member, a fellow student maybe, or a co-worker, and the Holy Spirit prompts you to have a gospel conversation with them, gives you that opportunity, can I encourage you to seize that moment that the Lord has given you? To be generous with what God has given you. Just like Paul was generous, just like Jesus was generous. Jesus who gave everything for our sakes. Just remember, God loves to use weak people to do great things so that he will get the glory. Remember Gideon and Moses. This is the story of the Bible over and over. So if you feel weak, like I often do in gospel encounters, maybe unequipped, remember God's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. By the way, if any of you do have gospel conversations in the next 10 days, two weeks, can I encourage you, invite that person to come to Alpha. It's free, spectacular. Come with them to Alpha for the first couple of weeks or for the whole eight weeks. It's easy to sign up in the church app or on the website. Back to our text. Paul has this final warning 
in verses 28 to 31. He's looking forwards and he sees clouds on the horizon. And he warns these Christian leaders that there will be savage wolves who will rise up, both from outside the church, but also from inside the church. And he's not talking about wild wolves with fur and big teeth that live outside. He's talking about humans, wicked humans, who will either be outright opposed to Jesus or who will distort the good news as they seek personal wealth or fame while pretending to be followers of Jesus and pretending to be Christian leaders. Friends, this exists today. Paul's warning is just as relevant for us as it was for those believers he was saying goodbye to at the church in Ephesus. There are enemies all over the world, both outside and inside the church. You should not be shocked when you hear that a famous Christian leader, so-called, has been living a secret life all along. It should not shock you that church history is filled with stories of wicked men usurping power for their own fame or wealth or pleasure. Paul warned that this would be the case 2,000 years ago. And really, Paul is just echoing the warning of Jesus here. And thankfully, Jesus actually teaches us how we can spot these wolves. Let me read from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says... Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By your fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Paul warns these Christians to be constantly on their guard. He he actually says he reminded them the whole time he was with them, with tears and day and night. He says this was so important and it is so important for us as well. Be on your guard, especially against false, false teachers who claim to be Christians, but distort the truth. Because of the internet, it's so easy to fall under their influence. Be on your guard. Test their fruit by looking at their personal life and see if it is a life that reflects the magnificent character of our Lord and Savior. If their life reflects the selflessness, the mercy, and the love of Jesus. If you need to, ask advice of the elders or Ben or Adam. This is serious. More serious than the economy or national security or politics. It is important to guard yourself against false teachers. And the soul destroying distortions of the truth that they peddle. Just by the way, probably in response to his warning about false teachers, Paul says this in verse 32. He says, Now 
I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul is leaving. He's saying goodbye. He's not going to be able to shepherd them or protect them. But he commits these believers to God and his word of grace. If you dwell on the message of grace, on the promises of Jesus, on the life of Jesus, he will build you up. If you belong to God, then like Jesus says in John chapter 10, I'm not going to read it, but it might come up on the screen. No one can snatch you away from his loving hands. What a great comfort. As long as we are committed to God, as long as we belong to him, we are forever secure. This issue of false teachers is so serious that Paul actually, he feels the need to highlight for them why he's not one of these wicked wolves. So he looks backwards for the final time in our passage. He reminds them in verses 33 to 35 that he's not been selfishly trying to use them in order to get rich. He reminds them that in actual fact, he worked hard to provide for his own needs and the needs of his companions like Luke so that no one could claim that he was a false teacher, selfishly and greedily trying to start a new cult in order to extract money from them. John Piper says about this passage, the main point is that Paul did not want to get rich off of anyone at Ephesus. Instead, his heart's desire was to meet people's needs. He wanted to make others rich with Jesus Christ. Verse 35 is just so interesting. Let me read it for us again. Paul says, in everything I did, I showed you that By this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Just by the way, this is why our church has partnered with Compassion and with New Life Orphanage and with some local school chaplains. This is why we're running Operation Christmas Child back there in the back corner. This is why we have the community cupboard. This is why we run Alpha. It is because our church priority of life for others is real. It is because this is what Jesus did. Jesus constantly helped the weak. He constantly gave of himself. He stayed with people when he would have preferred to be alone. He healed the sick. He hung out with the most outcasted people in his society. He loved the unloved. He loved his enemies enough to pray for them as they were in the process of killing him. That's how strong Jesus' commitment was to life for others. Paul was just living out the example that Jesus had already set by being generous with his money in order to help the weak and the helpless. Jesus helped us when we were weak. He helped me. If you belong to Jesus, then he helped you. He helped us to become strong, to be able to stand confidently 
before our creator, God. Because we are completely forgiven if we belong to Jesus. That was the whole point of Jesus coming to earth. He came on a rescue mission to help the weak, to help the weak, the helpless. Meaning us and people like us. He gave everything for that mission. As it says in Philippians 2, God rewarded Jesus richly for it. Giving him the name that is above every name. The name that will be worshipped by every living creature in heaven and on earth. Friend, it is indeed more blessed to give than to receive. Do you trust Jesus when he says that? Don't be like Scrooge McDuck or Smaug the dragon hoarding the wealth that you've been given. You've been given everything in Jesus. Dedicate yourself to generosity. And I'm not primarily talking about financial generosity, though God might call you to that. I'm talking about spiritual generosity. Just like Paul, just like me, you've done nothing to earn your salvation. You are saved because of the generosity or grace of God alone. You are saved because God gave to you. Give to others around you. Give the people around you the opportunity to find that same life in Jesus that you have. We've been looking at Paul's last words to the Christians from Ephesus. And I'd just like to finish by reminding us of the last words uh, to the uh, the last words of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. They were spoken to his followers shortly before he ascended into heaven in power and glory after being raised from the dead. Come from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 onwards. Jesus says to his followers then and he says to us this morning, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely, this is so encouraging. What wonderful last words. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What comforting last words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Praise God that they are words of peace and friendship and gospel partnership and not words of wrath and condemnation like we would deserve if Jesus had not given everything for us, if he'd not given up his life for us and taken the punishment for our wrongdoings. God is so good. 
When they parted, we read in verse 36 that they knelt down and they prayed. What an obvious thing to do in response to the God who's already given us everything in Jesus, to ask him for help. Prayer is powerful. God moves in response to our prayers. Maybe because of age or ill health, you are no longer able to share the good news of Jesus with those around you. Can I encourage you? Dedicate yourself to praying for people. Pick at least one person a day and pray that they will discover the peace and the joy and the life that is possible in Jesus. What an appropriate way to end their time together. Why don't we follow their example and we'll end our time together studying God's word with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your generosity to us. Thank you for Jesus who gave everything to us. Father, we pray that your generosity will transform us, that it will totally fill us, that it will overflow out of our lives into the lives of the people around us. Father, we ask that you will give us gospel opportunities, opportunities to share with the people around us of your generosity, your goodness, your kindness, to share with them that you are for them and not against them. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are for us and not against us. We honor you and we praise you. We thank you.